I speak to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. We see a lot of stories these days on the news that remain with us, that are unforgettable, partly because of the imagery that is ingrained in our minds. Let me recall for us a couple of years ago what we observed in the country of Afghanistan when we pulled our remaining troops out. We saw people in mass swarming towards the airport in Kabul, trying to do anything they could, pushing their way into the airport, climbing over walls even. Children, parents, grandparents, people of all kinds, trying in earnest to make their way onto a plane to have a seat. One of the final planes planned to depart and not to return for any um, time in the near future. We even saw some people going so far as to hang on to the outside of the planes, specifically on the landing gear, clinging, thinking that it would be better for them to take that chance than to stay on the ground. That's an unforgettable image. You've probably saw it for yourself. And the word that comes to my mind to sum that up, a story of that nature, is desperation. Complete desperation. It makes me wonder about ourselves feeling desperate at times. Have you ever felt so desperate in a way that has threatened your sense of security, your stability, where fear has set in deep within your core to the point of causing you to act recklessly. Now, I know that we aren't under the same conditions. We don't have to attempt to flee our country today. But there are other things that can cause us to feel desperate. Sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor comes in and says things don't look so good. can strike the cord of fear. Our hearts kind of fly away. Stomach drops. What do I do? People go on search for answers, looking for hope to fix the problem. That's a desperate situation that many people have felt, probably some of you have felt before. Or what about the threat of uh, financial concerns, um, financial ruin? Maybe something sets in to threaten your security financially. Or the breakdown of relationships, marriages, husband and wife turning against each other in hostility, parents turning against children, children against parents. These are desperate situations that make people feel hopeless often, not knowing how to fix it, 
There's a lot of mental illness out there, anxiety, depression, bipolar, all sorts of things that leave people feeling desperate for answers, for help, for hope. Maybe you haven't felt desperate to that degree, but you will. In time, you will, and I will. I don't know what that will look like, but it's coming. We have today before us in this gospel reading from Matthew's gospel the story of a woman who was certainly feeling desperate, not for herself per se, but for her daughter. As we learned, her daughter was severely oppressed and tormented, not by disease, but by the presence of a demon. Now, if demonic possession does not drive someone to desperation, I don't know what will. I really can't even imagine the conditions that this woman was in with her daughter. It was absolutely terrible. If you look at some of the words here that are used in our translation, we read of crying. She approached Jesus crying out for help. Some of the original Greek words carry the sense of shrieking. She wasn't approaching him in a stable state of mind. She was absolutely desperate, calling out to him for help. Sort of raises the question here at the end, by the end of the passage, by the end of this encounter that this woman enjoys with Jesus, after a series of exchanges back and forth that we don't have time to get into, Jesus ends up commending her for her faith. Down near the bottom, O woman, great is your faith. It makes me wonder why. What's so great about her faith? Last week, if you remember, we read the story of one of Jesus' disciples who didn't show great faith, but little faith. Peter was sinking in the Sea of Galilee, being admonished by Jesus, his Lord, for his little faith. And here, this woman, a Canaanite, in other words, a Gentile, a woman outside of the covenant promises of the people of Israel, is being commended for her great faith. This isn't by accident. There's a contrast being drawn here. There's a lot of lessons entailed here for us. But I want to ask the question, because time is of essence, why was her faith great in the eyes of Jesus? What is going on here? Was it because that she was great? Was it because that Jesus looked on at her and saw a holy, a saintly woman, a woman whose good actions outweighed the bad and that the balance tipped in her favor? We can't make that assumption at all from the text. We don't know anything about this woman, nothing. She could be a thief. She could be a bank robber, adulteress, a prostitute. Who knows? We can't say one way or the other. So it can't be on the basis of personal merit or goodness. 
Is it because she is stubborn enough to persist and she was raised by good parents who taught her to never give up, keep going, keep pressing, keep trying? She is persistent, but that's not what Jesus is commending here. He doesn't say, great is your persistence. She could be persistently wrong. Is it because she has mustered up enough faith, as though there's some quantity of belief or faith that she has that Jesus says, ah, you have lots of belief? I don't think so. I don't think it's a quantity we're dealing with here. So what's going on? I think the answer has to do in, with Jesus himself. This woman's faith is great, not because she's great in and of herself, but because she believes that Jesus is great. She believes Jesus is great. And here's the universal point in principle form. The greater you believe God to be, that is, the greater your estimation of God himself, of Jesus himself, the greater your faith in him can be. You see how that works? There's good news in that. That's the gospel. If we were to go at it the other way around and say, well, this woman is great because of her faith, and she has great faith, and it's all coming out of her, all we have before us is an example. No power. Just be like her. Where's the power in that? There's no power in that. You're not like her. You're not her. I'm not her, and we never will be. She's only great because she believes Jesus is great. That's the basis of her great faith. Look with me. Here, a fourth of the way down through the passage, it's all given to us right here. In what ways does this woman believe Jesus is great? She says it explicitly in her first cry, her first petition. Have mercy on me. Pause. This woman believes that Jesus is great in mercy. She believes that he is a merciful man. Now, why would she believe that? I don't know all the reasons, but I suspect that Jesus' reputation precedes him. He has stepped out of the bounds of Israel into Gentile lands, we're told to withdraw, presumably to rest. By this point, he had already garnered enough attention amongst thousands of people. Word circulates. This woman has very likely already heard about Jesus. She may not have ever seen him before, but now that he's come to her home, turf, she's heard about him. That's the one who, they say, has been doing all those great things. The deaf hear, the mute speak, the blind see, 
the lame walk, the dead are risen. That's the one who's doing that. I've heard that he's very merciful, that he pours out these blessings liberally, not sparingly. Many people have received the blessings of this man's ability to help them. Word doesn't just travel, but word of his reputation has traveled, and it's been made very clear to, to her that she is dealing with a merciful man. Now, I wouldn't split hairs over defining this word mercy too much in this context. Some people go in to say, well, mercy means this and grace means that. Just want us to hear it in terms of compassion. That's a compassionate man. That's a man who will look on people with grace, who will give people things they don't even really deserve. He just gives it. I've heard of people who even just touched him and were healed. He's merciful. I remember about this time of year growing up in elementary school, we always looked forward to walking down the street. They lived that close to my K through five school, to go to the front doors and look on the brick wall at the postings of rosters to find out whose class are you going to be in. We were always curious to know, are we going to be in class with our friends? That was interesting to find out. We hoped for that. But most of all, what we all really wanted to know was, who's our teacher? Because I heard last year, going into third grade, Mrs. Ellis was really nice and really gracious, handed out candy on occasion, more than Mrs. Vera. Mrs. Vera, she was strict. Mrs. Ellis, you want Mrs. Ellis. Her rep she has a reputation. She's compassionate. She has that smile. She'll look on you with favor. It's encouraging. I don't know about the other options. We'd quake over that. <laughs> you have to spend a whole year with that person. It's a big deal to a third grader. Jesus' reputation is very important. It matters what people think about him. It will either draw people to him or push them away. If people believe that he is merciful like this woman, they will be inclined to approach him, to beseech him, to request and petition him. If they believe, rather, that he is harsh and hard and strict and judgmental and exclusive, they won't. This woman would not have come to him had she not believed that he would be merciful. And she was right. He is. It's important to get his character right. The scriptures are full of God's mercy from beginning to end. It was prophesied in the old, and it's manifest in the new, in the life of Jesus himself. He is a man of mercy. We need to drive that point into our hearts and never forget it. He's merciful. When you believe he's merciful, you will be inclined to come to him too with your needs with your shame, with your problems, with your guilt. 
and bring them to him, just as he invites. Secondly, she believes that he's not only merciful, but that his identity is great. Look at what she says after, have mercy on me. She says, O Lord, Son of David. Again, no small point. She's verging very close to a Christian profession of faith. And let me remind you, she's uttering these words before the New Testament's even written. Lord, Son of David. I don't know what she thought exactly about Jesus, but to call him Lord and to attribute to him the title Son of David is very charged language. She at least believes you're the one whom your people have been hoping and looking for for hundreds of years, the one whom God has promised. You're the Messiah, the, the anointed one. That carries a lot of meaning. She believes that this isn't just a regular man. She doesn't come up and say, Oh, great teacher. She says, Lord, son of David. It took the church a couple of hundred of years to really all everyone get on the same board with that statement. The incarnation. The son of God. And she has in seed form making that same profession. Not just a regular man. And thirdly and lastly, she believes in addition to what Jesus is like, in addition to who he is, she really believes that he can help her. She believes that he is powerful. The last petition. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. If she didn't believe that he could help her with the power that he had, she wouldn't have asked. But she believes that he is powerful. That's what makes her faith great. It's because she believes that Jesus is great. I wonder if sometimes we struggle in our own faith because we have a small view of Jesus. We diminish his ability. Because maybe he hasn't given what we have asked for in the timeline we had hoped for. Or maybe we've sort of fed on suggestions that maybe he wasn't the Messiah. Maybe he's one of many options and to each his own. And maybe he's not really that unique. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me? Have we compromised his unique identity by allowing for other avenues? Jesus is good for you. Buddha is good for him. That diminishes Jesus. That's not a great Jesus. That's a smaller Jesus. Or have we diminished his mercy, has his love, his faithfulness? his patience, his compassion. How do we see him? What's his character? 
When Jesus is small in our view, from our perspective, when we make little of Jesus, our faith is diminished as well. But when we make much of Jesus, our faith can be just as great. When you have a great Jesus, you have the conditions for a great faith. That's why this woman is great, is because she believes he is great. Amen.